Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. We've been going through Ephesians all through the fall, and we took about seven weeks off for the Explore God series, and then we picked up the parts we left off, and we are, this will be our last uh, message in Ephesians, and Bruce will be here next week, and we'll start something new in April. Thanks for being here. It's a Bible, if you have a Bible, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, and it says this, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for its truth. Thanks for the practical help of it. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you just remove every distraction right now and just open up our eyes, teach us from your word, and instruct us and encourage us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the wonder of work. And Ephesians chapter 6, and the last half of Ephesians, it's extremely practical. This is very practical instruction for us. But why does God have us spend so much of our lives doing one particular thing, which is work? Why, why, is, why, does, why, why was that God's plan? And in our church, it's, it's, work is very complex. I mean, it's very complex. Even in our church, the, the different ways many of you make a living, how you make your living, how you get paid to make your living, it's all, it's all very complex. It's very diverse. And there's many different reasons why uh, some of you work. And all of us have all these different reasons. But it, it, it is a question that sometimes you just have to ask, why, 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 was, why would God have us spend so much time of our lives doing one particular thing? Because there is great weariness to work. Why, why is that? There is also a great, wonderful thrill to work. Some of you would definitely say, I love my job. And some of you would say, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, so you, don't, you can't imagine how hard it is for me to get up every day to go. There's great weariness to work. There's great thrill to work. I mean, Jack Welch, who was the, G, the, the chairman of GE for years in his book, Winning, he, he, he made a statement about, towards the end of this book, it's out of his years of wisdom about the balance of life and work. And, and then he said this, he said he was thrilled with work. Jack, Jack Welch loved work. He, he said, the idea just didn't dawn on me that anyone would want to be anywhere but at work. That's not how most people feel. And even in his book, he, he recognized that, 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 that's not, that that's not the ultimate way of life. It was, a, it was a wrong direction that he had. But there is a very weighty element to work as well. I mean, work kills us, literally. Your bodies get shot through work. 
Emotional toll comes through work. People have, have physical ailments because of work. I mean, this, this thing that we do, we spend the majority of our time doing it, it's actually it's extremely weighty. Because we, you, you get old doing work. It, it, it beats us up. But work matters. Nobody disputes that. But what, what is, what's a Christian's response to work? How, how should we think about work? So this, this morning, as we look at Ephesians 6, I'm just going to give us, we'll talk about the wonder of work for a little bit. We'll talk about a way to consider the wonder, and then we're going to look at the, wor- the worker of wonder. But since God has spent so much of our lives, so much of our time working, well, what should we wonder about work? Well, what is it that we should think about work? And the church has not always done a very good job of helping people take what they do on Sunday, what they hear about God, and then carry it out through the rest of the week. Dorothy Sayers years ago wrote an article about why work. And in this uh, great article, she just talks about how the church really hasn't done often a great job of helping people connect their faith to their work. And I think in the last number of years, there's actually been more resources come out to help people. And you're, you're going to get a number of them this afternoon in an email uh, for some extra stuff for today. But Here's the reason why we should talk about this and why we should wonder about this. For some of you, you've not started work yet. You're still in school, which is your job right now. That's your, that's your job. But you might wonder, what, what, am I, what should I be? What, what should I do? What should the direction of my life for the rest of my life be? You, you, you still wonder that. Some of you have been working for 35 years, and you're still asking yourself, what, what should I do? What's, the, what's my purpose in life? Some of you are in the midst of work, and you are in that situation, and you're kind of saying to yourself, what's happening? What am I really doing? What's happening in this, in this situation? I'm spending all this time. What's really, what, what, what impact is my life really having? What am I actually accomplishing with my work? And some of you are retired, and you can look back, and you think, well, what happened? How did I get, I'm here already. Now what? And, and hopefully this morning, you can also look back and think, no, that, makes, that, that helps me out. I know what happened for the last 40 years now, a little bit better. But we do wonder about work, particularly our vocation, how we get, how we get a living, our job. But all, all work is what he's talking about. And in our day and day, people are, they, they wonder about it constantly. Most people aren't in the same job for, forever. Even in our church, there's people constantly, they're shuffling, trying to figure out, is this what God wants for me? Is this what God wants for me? Uh, what, what career? What is my calling? What, what am I supposed to do? But here's what we don't need to wonder about. We, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that work is not a curse. God designed work. It, it was part of how he created the world. God's a worker. He, he, he created a garden. He created a world. He, the work is not the curse, but work has been cursed in Genesis chapter 2. It was not because of anything God Desire. That's not how he created things. God, God created us to work. He made man in a garden. He says, now go to work and have dominion over it. And then God, man, rejected God's plan. And work did get cursed. But God delights in workers. And God delights in work. That's what he said. After he worked, after his creation, he says it's good. God delights in work and he delights in workers. And God has a lot to say about Work. Just, just look most of the Bible. There's people who are at jobs. 
that they're doing work in some very difficult circumstances. And if you read Proverbs, there's over 150 Proverbs that describe work and work-related situations. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, 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 God wants us to work. God designed work. Work's not bad. Work's not cursed. We were made in the image of God, so we are workers. But how do we wonder and look at that? Because work is very wearisome. It's, it's difficult. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's complicated. Some of you are working so hard, and you're like, I don't know what else to do. It, it still doesn't pay all the bills, but I'm, I'm working as hard as I can. That's, what, that's frustration. That's, that's the difficulties of work. Or some of you work in so many hours, you're like, I don't have time for my family. Or some of you have, it's like, I got too much time with my family. I need to get back to doing some work. That that's just the frustrations of work in a fallen world. And we wonder about this, and it stirs up wonder. There's, there's a drudgery to work. And there's also great delight in work. And there's also great discouragement in work. But there's also great danger in work. Because... Work can be a place to hide. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about to the church. They would gather together on a Sunday to hear what does God have to say about work when, they, when this was first written. Here's how, how to think about work as far as Christians. And he's talking about very personal things and he, very practical. And he says, hey, he talked about husbands. He talked about wives. He talked about children. And then he talks about work. And it's very personal because work can be very dangerous. You can work and hide at work. You can hide from your wife at work. You can hide from your troubling kids at work. Or you can use work to, to fill you up in ways it was never intended to do. And so there's all this stuff that comes with work. That if we don't think about them necessarily, but we do wonder about it. It's just part of our life. There is a wonder about work, which is all about what Ephesians is. And it says we're supposed to talk about work as Christians together so that we can build each other up and mature in every area of our lives, and, not, and, and look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So there's great wonder in work, but there's, before we can look at that, there's, there's a wonder of this text. Because anytime anybody reads this, bond servants, obey your masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, servants, slaves, and, and we instantly think about the slaves from Africa and the Civil War, and that, that, that slavery, and we have a hard time saying, how, how come Paul isn't saying slavery is wrong? Why isn't he saying that, that people shouldn't have masters? That's different. What Paul was talking about back in ancient Israel and Greco-Roman times, it was, it's not the same type of slavery that we instantly think of as Americans, which was terribly wrong, absolutely wrong, and horrific. This type of slavery and this type of situation wasn't great, but it's not the same. So Paul's talking about a different thing. In this type of Greco-Roman world, he's taught right to these people who is Ephesians. There were there's lots of slaves. There's all kinds of masters, but it was not race-based. It was based off of either a debt situation where you got yourself in debt, and so you had to go work for somebody, or that it was a war situation and you were you lost, and so they would take you in. But there's also a time with this where it didn't last forever. There would be there would be years where you, they were supposed to be released, and in ancient Israel the year of Jubilee, where there's also rights for the slaves in this, in this culture. 
So Paul isn't talking about the kind of slavery that instantly pops into our minds. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was different. And he's, so he's not defending slavery. He, he talks about the defense of, of uh, why it was wrong in other areas. But well, what he's doing in Ephesians chapter 6, for Christians and for the church, as he's describing how to live as followers of Christ, how to live as Christians, how the gospel is supposed to affect your practice of everyday life and the real culture and where you work. So it is about work. It's about the daily grind of existing and how you make your living. But F.F. Bruce is a great theologian. When you read what Paul said about it, even though it's totally different than the slavery we sometimes think of, he says the way he wrote about it, he said, Paul brings us into an atmosphere which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. I mean, the way Paul talks about masters treating slaves the same, the way he describes this, the, the only thing that he talks about, he, he brings into an atmosphere that this institution will only wilt and die, and it should, and it still needs to in all parts of our culture even today. But, but what he's talking about for us is how do you go to work? How do you work as a worker in a culture of surviving, and how do you do it as a Christian? What's the, how does the gospel affect how you work? Well, what, make work, what makes work hard? Sin. The sense of futility that comes through work. Work was not the problem. God, God's a worker. God designed work. Work got cursed because of sin, and it, and it keeps spreading into futility. So that people can work, and you can work, and many people can work, and very creative, talented people can work. It's been great efforts in that energy of work, and, and what they end up with is a sense of futility. There was a Japanese novelist, famous Japanese novelist, who wrote all kinds of novels and books and committed suicide. And his last words were, they never heard me. He felt like everything that he did all this effort to write, to be heard, never got heard by people. He felt like his work was futile. There's two ways that our culture makes work harder. One is by idleness, just not working. We know that's wrong. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a culture in our area, where, in our world, that says, you know, if you don't feel like working, don't work. And idleness is not what God intended, But there's more to idleness than just not working. You can work and not work. You can go to work and not work. You can be idle at work, just going through the motions. That's idleness as well. That that, that makes work harder. And the other way work becomes hard is by idolatry, making work everything to you. That's how you're going to get all your satisfaction. uh, Tim Keller says an idol is, is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. And if you try to take work, and you love your job, and you, you love what you do, and you say, ah, but th- and that becomes for you everything, where you try to find all your satisfaction, all your hope, all your, all your joy, then work becomes an, an idol. Where you spend all your time doing that, and you, you, you stop doing more imp- other important things. That's how our culture lives in work. They're they're very idle. Like, how how much less work can I do? Or how much work can I do 
to get what I want. Both of those are wrong. They both make work hard. But for Christians, Christians also can make work harder. And the way that Christians make work harder, we still struggle with idleness. We still struggle with making work idolatry. But we can also make it harder as followers of Christ by just being ignorant of what God says about work. Just not, or just ignoring, not knowing who we are and what, how we're called to flourish as human beings. God's a worker. He wants us to flourish. And he wants us to flourish as humans in this world that he created. And as Christians, we can be ignorant about that or we can just ignore it. And it makes work for us even, I think, harder. What can you expect from work? Pain. Suffering. Evil. People stabbing you in the back, saying one thing to you at one time, and then that's just the culture of work. It's a brutal thing that people do. It's a a brutal thing that you spend hours and hours and hours doing. Really, in in, in every sense of the word. That's the futility, that's that's the curse of sin on work. But when it comes to work, this is the wonderful truth that we can remember. As Christians, theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. When you walk into work tomorrow morning, you can look at your job site, you can look at the office building, you can look at wherever you're going, and you can know that Christ is sovereign over all, and that place is his. He, he says, that's, that's mine. That, that's, that this is his place. There's no place, which is why you can't run and hide spiritually at work, which is sometimes easy to do. Christ is there. It's, it's all his. So how should we consider work? How should you wonder about work? A, a number of years ago, I was coming back from a conference in Minneapolis, and I was just thinking about my work, my life, my, my direction, and, and, and this thought came to me that stuck with me. I think I've used it before, but it helps me as I was thinking through this, how to, to work us, how we should consider work, and what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're just going to look at it three ways. How should we consider work, and what is he saying? We should go where God has planned for us. We should grow where God has planted us, and we should give praise forever God propels us. Go where God has planned for you. He says to these bond servants in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. He does not come to these people and say, This whole system of how people make money in this is wrong. Do it differently. He says, go where, if you're a bondservant, he doesn't say escape. He says, that, that's your place. So be where God has planned for you. Psalms 139 says there's this, God has divinely providence over your life. That he, he knows the days before you even lived them. Which means God's designed every day that you've ever lived. He knew it in advance. He's planned it for you. And he thinks about you over and over again. So when you're driving into work, and the, the darkness of it for some of you looms over you. And you want to escape it. The truth is, go where God has planned for you. He, he leaves them in this situation. And this is, and he says, but do it 
with this perspective. Do it with this direction. Go to, go to work with this perspective and, and serve as you would Christ. It's a, a change, it's a perspective, it's a focus we have to have. Your work is worship to God. You go to work, and it's a worship to God because he claims it's mine over him, over that place. So your work is worship. He planned it for you. It's this focus that we can have. Do it as you would Christ. How would you serve Jesus Christ if that's who you are driving to work to tomorrow and he's sitting in the office? That's how you, you, you go to work, with the sincerity of heart, the singleness of heart, this focus, that my perspective for working is to worship Jesus Christ. Go where God's plan for you. It also gives dignity to work. The, the, we are bondservants of Christ. That sounds negative, but bondservants of Christ. Yesterday I got the Valley Life paper, and some of you probably all get this too, and on the front cover it says Life's Purpose. And it's about a guy from Plano who's going to go to New Guinea, him and his family, as missionaries. And, I, and at first I, I read that, it's the cover of our, and I thought it's kind of a delight to still be in a culture where they still put missionaries on the front page of the newspaper, and that what they say is life's purpose. That's great. But it's also very dangerous. Because what we don't see often on the front page of the newspaper in our area is the housekeepers from Timberwolf Lodge with life's purpose over it. We don't have full-page stories about that. Why, why is that? Why, why, don't we, why don't we look at work that way, where there's just dignity? This is what Jesus is saying about work. All work has dignity. He's giving bondservants who can be abused and treated poorly. He's saying to them, be a bondservant as to Christ, which means all your work, even as a, as a, as a, for them bondservants or whatever you're doing, has dignity. All work does. Listen, there is no distinction between sacred and secular work. No distinction. What, what, what I do working in a church is, is not any better. It's just different. There's no distinction between your faith and your practice, so there shouldn't be. There, there's, no, there's no sacred work and there's no secular work. They're, they're all the same in God's eyes. That's why Francis Chaper was able to put dignity, and God put dignity to work. And Francis Chaper wrote a book called No Little People and No Little Places. So whatever you're doing, changing a diaper, cleaning your house, that's not little. That's, the, that, that, that's work to God. That, that, that's dignified. Sweeping up the floor, washing off tables, making other people's beds. God says that's very dignified. So go where God has planned for you. It's a place of worship. And then there's just diligence to it. It's do it from the, the will of God from the heart. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You're serving the Lord, which means this. When it comes to all these difficult situations with work, don't, don't be, we're not supposed to be runners. You know, you, you, you find a job that you don't like and you, you take off. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to run from it. That's not my job. I don't like this. So I, I'm switching jobs all the time because I, I, I just, this was rough here. So I'm going to go find someplace else where I can be happy again. Maybe God's purpose for you is to stay in that place where he designed for you. Don't be a runner and don't be a stump. You know, don't be like, well, I've just done this for 25 years. I'm not going to learn anything else. They're going to have to put up with me. Try to move me. I dare you. That's not, that's, not, that's not the way God designed 
us to be. What, 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 we are, what we are called to be more like is just like a water wheel. The, wa- the wheel from a water wheel with work. Where, where we, we go where God has planned for us and we just will flow. Somebody else will do your job someday. Somebody else is going to come through and do you. That's not what it's about. It's about you glorifying God and being where God has planned for you because you're doing it as to the Lord, as, as of Christ, with the will of God from the heart. Tim Keller says, if God's purpose for your job is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. So if you're a carpenter, make good houses. If you're a cook at a restaurant, cook good food. If you fly airplanes, land the plane. That's what God's work for you to do. That's doing good work. Go where God has planned for you. Because you're doing it as to Christ, and then go where God has planted you. But let me just say this. If you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life, you, you don't know what to do, and you're trying to figure out, where's God planned for me? What does God have next for me? There's, I think, three, I'll say four ways. Three ways. One is interest. What do you like to do? What, is, what do you enjoy doing? What, what's your interest? And what's your ability? Where, where have you find yourself skilled? And then where do you have the opportunity? I mean, you can have interest and you can have ability, but if nobody hires you, that's probably not God's plan for you. And you can have all the opportunity, but if you are just, you probably, you're not skilled, then that's probably not God's plan for you. But then also, just accept it. Accept whatever God has for you. It may not be the dream job you dreamed about forever, but it may be the place that God has for you to bring him great glory. So, so go where God has planned for you and do it to Christ, and then grow where God has planted you. He, he says this in verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Go where God has, grow where God's planted you. Render service as to the Lord. How do you do that as a teacher? How do you do that as a construction worker? As an engineer? How how do you do that? You approach your work as art. It's it's do good will as to the Lord. What what you're doing when you walk in there is you you, you, you see this is God's gift to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in, I'm going to do this job as if it's, if it's a great piece of art that I'm trying to perform for God. I'm a, it's a masterpiece that I'm trying to do, which, which will help you do two things. One, it'll keep you from being obsessed on one side, and it'll help you from being omitting and being lazy on the other side. If you go to work and you look at your work as just this, I, I, I'm, I'm worshiping God, this is a, my act of worship, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it as an art form to God that he created me to do, gave me the ability to do. You're not going to become obsessed with it, and you're going to know when to pull away and take some breaks. And you're also not going to be finding ways to get out of it and do as little work as possible. So approach your work with art and then actively ground your attitude, your aptitude, and your expectations. Guard them. Guard your attitude. Guard your aptitude. Guard your expectations. And ask others. How, this is what he says. Render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. You're not serving other people. 
It's not the students in your classroom that you're serving. It's not the people that come into the shop that you're serving. You're doing it unto God, so actively guard your attitude. Guard your aptitude. Get better when you can at what you do. Guard your expectations. Work still has futility. It's still wearisome. It's still hard. It always will be. So when you go to work and think, oh, I'm going to serve God as an art form, and then the boss comes in and it doesn't go so well, forget this piece of art. Don't do that. Guard your expectations. But grow where God has planted you. He says, render service with a good will as to the Lord. And then give praise. Forever God propels you. He talks to masters and he talks to servants. And he says, serve each other the same. Serve each other well. Treat each other this way. And the reason why is there's no partiality with God. There's no difference. God didn't look at the masters or the bond servants differently. He looked at them the same. Give praise then for however God propels you. Some of you, listen, you will work and work and work and work as an art form to God out of worship and you'll never get promoted. You'll get passed over, you'll get passed over, you'll get passed over. The job that you love, somebody will fire you from. How are you going to handle that as a Christian? The way you handle it is by realizing that God, there's, there's no partiality with God, and so I'm going to praise him however he propels me. And some of you are going to be able to do jobs. You'll walk in. Everything you touch will turn to gold. People will love you. They'll, they'll, they'll be throwing accolades at you. And how are you going to handle that? You do it by recognizing that there's no partiality with God, and you're going to give praise to God. That we, we, we go where God's planned for us. We grow where God's planted us, and we, we praise him forever. He prepares, propels us. Let me just give you four applications that I think will help us. Listen, wherever you are, it, how you feel about your job, your situation, your work, Every day, just place the workday in God's hands. We say this, but do we do this? Just to say, God, this is, this is for you today. I'm going to put this, this day into your hands. Through prayer and reading of his word, place the, the workday in God's hand. And when, you're, when you're at work, practice the presence of Jesus. I mean, just practice that this is, this is Christ's domain. Jesus reigns over Walmart. And so when you're working there, or when you're in that situation, or wherever it is, practice the presence of Jesus. Just every aspect of it, every, every, think about every, every way you, every decision you made, is it being affected by what Jesus said? And, and make sure every decision and direction, it's going to help your integrity that is being done by this is for Jesus, Jesus reigns over this, I'm going to practice the presence of Jesus, and no matter how annoying this coworker is or how difficult this boss is, I'm doing this for Christ, which is hard. It's very hard. But this is what we are called to do, so we practice the presence of Jesus. And listen, because it's so hard, Cornerstone, let's put technology to better and greater use. We all know things are corrupt, don't we? 
Most of us have phones at work. You see each other's phones. You see each other's social media sites. I mean, just imagine what it would be if we all didn't pick up our phone in the middle of a rough day and think, the government stuck it to me again. Oh, this person, he showed it to me again. He put out his other political post. What if, what if we thought about each other as a church? And use our social media to say, hey, I bet he's having a rough day at work. I'm going to send him a little encouragement. Or, you know what? People are going to see this Facebook post or this Twitter post. I want people to be encouraged by it. What if we put our technology to greater use to encourage each other in this grind we call work together throughout the week? And so when people looked at it, even from the church, or you're texting people individually, and you're retired thinking, what am I supposed to do? I got all this extra time, and I'm hearing all this knowledge. Well, people at work don't need to hear all the negative things going on in the world. What they need from you as Christian brothers and sisters to each other is to say, I'm going to post this. That might encourage Jeff Dold at work right now. This might encourage Corey or Kurt. And think about them by name and use technology for better use. That's practical. It's joyful to people. And then just put in another day. Get up, go to work, put in another day, and worship God in it. And, and, and go through the grind, glorifying God. Why can we do this? It's hard what Paul's asking these people to do. I mean, these were slaves who were, who were told that the masters could treat them poorly and it was good and right. And Paul's telling them, Masters and servants treat each other like you would treat Christ. Even in a very tough situation, but how, well, how can we do this? Why can we do this? So the reason why we can do this is because we have this worker of wonder in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples. It's towards the end. And it says in John 13 that he knows who he is, and what he's called to do. He's got the power of God, and he knows it, and he knows what's going to happen through him. And with all that information, all that power, Jesus gets up, puts on a servant's robe, and he washes the disciples' feet. He goes to work doing the grindiest, difficult job there is. It's amazing that we have this wonderful worker in Jesus. I mean, wow. He's got all the power in the world, and he decides that I'm going to go to work. I'm going to serve other people. Most of you, every day, go to work, and you redesign things. You repair things. You replenish things. You resource things. You reassure people. You rescue people. And you restore people. I mean, that's, that's what your jobs are. I, I think for the majority of our church, that's true. In some way, you do that. And here's why that should wow you if you know Jesus. is because that's what the gospel is. 
Jesus, when he came and when he served us in that way, that's what, that's what the gospel is all about. It's redesigning it to, the way, to back the way it's supposed to be. It's repairing what's broken. It's replenishing those who are weary. It's resourcing those who need help. It's reassuring those who know, need to know they need love. It's rescuing. That's the gospel. And everybody does this in their jobs, but you, as followers of Jesus Christ, can know that that's what you're doing. Other people are doing it blindly. They don't even see that what they do every day is a picture of the greatest story ever, the gospel in Jesus Christ. But you can. So you can walk to work, and you can know that, hey, while I'm helping this person, this is a picture of me, of the gospel, of what Jesus did for me. This is, this is good. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as we walk into Easter... And we think about our work. We can think about that work, work that way. Wow, Jesus, that you would let me do this job. Wow, that you would use me with these people. Wow. It's only because of your grace on me that he was a man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a savior. Your work is worship and your work matters. And it matters because we've been rescued by Jesus. And we've been called to serve for and with Jesus for his name. And we can rejoice in that. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's fueling half revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Take a break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Then read the word 
been put to test the things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to Is more than a song. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. You clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves it. Anything I put before my God is an idol And anything I want with all my heart is an idol And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol And I know Cause I can sing all I want to Yes I can Sing all I want to That's the measure you must take to crush the idol. 